Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness, great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? Hello, this is Gretchen Gagel, and I am so thrilled today to welcome Amy Jen Sue, best-selling author and co-founder of Paravis Partners to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, Amy. Gretchen, thanks so much for having me today. It's great to be here. If you're listening to my podcast on a regular basis, you know that many times I'll read an article in Harvard Business Review or the New York Times or someplace and think, wow, this is somebody that I really need to meet. And that's how Amy and I came to know one another. And Amy, I love starting out with our guests on talking a little bit about your personal journey and how you became so passionate about leadership, which is the topic that we're going to be talking about today, your best-selling book on leadership. But what what sparked your interest in deeply understanding leadership? You know, um, Gretchen, I think it goes all the way back to childhood. I think if you were to ask my parents what I was like as a child, I've always been fascinated by how people tick and what makes them tick. And so they often joke, I'm an executive coach now in my day job, but I think as far as far back as I can remember, I was in some ways every person's friend or counselor or loved to listen to people's stories. And that just really carried into my career. Uh, And I'm just fascinated by leaders because they have such an impact in their organization, a chance to be a real positive force for good. And so it's just such an honor and pleasure to get to work with folks who are trying to do good things in their organizations today. Yeah, I love that phrase that you just used, a chance to be a power for good. Because it's interesting, when I work with my MBA students, um, I have them become observers of leaders in the world. And uh, I've learned a lot. My um I shouldn't be so specific in how I describe this, but some of the not so great leaders that I worked in. So let's talk about your book, The Leader You Want to Be, Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out Your Best Self Every Day. And as I told you, I've already, since reading this book, recommended this to two of my clients and my students that I'm teaching at the University of Denver and the Australian National University. You start out with this premise that I love in this book about leader A, versus leader B. So tell us a little bit about what leader A looks like and a little bit about what leader B looks like. Leader A, Gretchen, is like that part of all of ourselves, right? Where we wake up in the morning and somehow, no matter what challenge is thrown our way, we are swimming with the current. We're not taking things personally. Somehow we're holding a broader perspective. And again, no matter what's thrown our way, we aren't resisting the moment. We're just finding our own ease and effectiveness in it. And at the same time, uh, leader B, as you mentioned, is the contrast of that, where you wake up in the morning and somehow you know you're on the wrong side of the bed. Everything feels like an uphill battle. Uh, We're taking things a little more personally, maybe less perspective. And it really elicits a more reactive side of ourselves. And so the start of the book was trying to capture just an experience I think we all hold, which is some days we have good days, some days we're not our best selves. And it was just a simple heuristic to say, you know, wow, am I in leader A mode today or leader B? And and what's going on here? And what sort of awareness can I hold around this? Mm, that's That's so insightful, Amy, because when, when I work with leaders or 
uh, talk to students about leadership. Actually, I have a really specific example where I was hired to work with two co-leaders of a team that weren't functioning very well, weren't functioning with their teams very well. And one of them, I sat down with him and I said to him, do you aspire to be a great leader? And I do a lot of consulting in um, engineering and construction. And uh, we have many times that we promote people because they're really good engineers, but we don't give them the skills to be great managers or great leaders. But to even think about what does that aspiration look like to be a great leader, to, to get somebody to sit back and really reflect upon. It's like golf. I play golf, right? I, yes. I just, I mean, I don't just wake up one morning and go, gosh, I want to be really good at golf. You have to go hit a lot of golf balls. Hundred. So that, yeah. that intentionality, I think, is the first thing that struck me about your book is really thinking about what does leader A look like and do I have an aspiration to be that great leader? I do think it's a North Star, an aspiration, as you mentioned. And I'll often say to folks, it, the goal isn't to be superhuman. The construct isn't meant to say you have to be perfect. But I think to your point, it's an aspiration. It's the essence we know exists within ourselves. And really, leader B is much more around what are those conditions and factors where we lose access to the best of ourselves? It's still there. Just something is going on. And so the question I will often ask leaders is, you know, what's your center of gravity, leader A or leader B? Do you have awareness of when you're in one mode versus the other? And if you do, do you have enough self-compassion to gently bring yourself back from B back to A? Oh, this, this, is, uh, this is becoming very personal. When the pandemic uh, struck, I rehired my emotional intelligence coach. Mm. He's been my coach for eight years Brent Darnell. I did a wonderful podcast with him. He's, he's just a gracious, amazing person. And, and I knew one thing I've learned about the brain and neuro neuro leadership is that our amygdala actually grows when we're under sustained stress. Mm. Um, we were just talking about the fact that Melbourne just became the most locked down city in the world. We've been in lockdown for 250 days. Uh, that will can create stress and yes. that you'll become more triggered. You will um, things may push you into leader B and that you really need to be, I need to be more mindful of um, where my brain is given all the stress that I'm under. So I think that's that's really great advice. You know, I'm thinking of another story of a leader where doing his performance review, the CEO of a company and uh, one of his employees talked about, yeah, most of the time he's great, but every once in a while he goes into rage mode. Yeah. Rage mode is not a good place. Rage mode is not a good place. And I think what's what's challenging, it's not that the CEO shouldn't feel the emotion of anger, but it's what does he or she do in the face of it. And unfortunately, when you're the CEO of a company, you do have a ripple effect. The coefficient, if you will, if of your impact is far greater by the nature of the role you have. So you have a different responsibility in terms of what are you telegraphing? How are you handling that set of emotions, whether constructive or not constructive? Mm. And so I think, again, part of this construct was to say, hey, how do you get present to that you're angry? But rather than raging, you know, do you need to take a private moment? Do you need to reschedule that meeting? What's a more constructive way forward? Yeah, the pause button, the ever important pause button. Yes, hit the pause. That I've worked so hard on 20 years ago, I created the email pause button where at least when I wanted to write an angry email, (laughs) 
I think back to my youth and I and I'd write it and then the next day I'd wake up and delete it or at least modify it. So right, That's- yeah. So tell us some of the some of the I have a couple of my favorites that I want to talk about, but but some of the tips that you offer in your book about living, being present to and living in that space of being leader A, what does that look like? And and how can we help ourselves be in that space more often? I think one of the key pieces of that is our self-care, number one, right? Our level of reactivity or not not surprisingly a function of how much sleep we're getting, how we're eating. And oftentimes those are things we all know, but are we able to give ourselves the permission to do that? Oftentimes it's incredible how you're in the flow of the day and it here comes six, seven o'clock at night and you know it's time to put the laptop lid down and somehow we just don't give ourselves permission to do that. So I think number one, there's a fair bit in the book just around the mindsets around self-care and that they're really part of the job. To the point of the CEO that you just mentioned, because he or she has such a big impact on the organization, you know, self-care in that toolbox has to be part of the leadership toolkit. Yeah, I think I think I, I have my own personal experience 12 years ago being diagnosed with a really bad heart arrhythmia that was completely stress related. And boy, did it push me over into the self-care thing. And and the way I describe it is you need to show up as an elite athlete, as a leader. I mean, that's, yes. it's, um, yeah, care of yourself. One of the other things I've really enjoyed in the book, and, and I have to say that um, I'm, I'm talking about it in a, a presentation I'm giving or workshop I'm giving next week with some senior uh, CEO leaders in the healthcare industry. So we're, we're dealing with the Delta variant yes. running rampant now in an, in an understaffed infrastructure and, and talking about resiliency and how it's a marathon over here, as I said, 250 days of lockdown and with no end in sight. Well, hopefully there's an end in sight. Yes, incredible. Um, but you, your quadrant, your two by two purpose quadrant is, I think, one of the best tools in this book. Thank you, Gretchen. So talk to us about and describe this two by two purpose quadrant to us, because I think it could be really helpful to our listeners. The two by two purpose quadrant really holds two criteria, two uh, elements, if you will, that our purpose is a function of both our contribution. So at any given point in your life or time, what is the highest and best impact contribution you hope to make for the world, for the organization, for your family, pick the role that you have. And at the same time, our purpose is ever evolving and a function of our passion. You know, what gives you energy today? If you found yourself with a free hour, what would you find yourself working on? What are you drawn to? And so as you begin to walk through your life looking for the intersection of those two things, then you end up in the upper right-hand quadrant where you have both high contribution and really high passion. And to me, that's a real foundational point of living in Leader A where, wow, how great is it that the difference we're trying to make or the contribution we're having in our organization happens to also be what we enjoy doing and are passionate about. And so my hope was that the two by two would give people a way to take the big plates and the many things on our to-do lists and begin to sort them into buckets so that we could prioritize and move to the top the things that matter the most. Great. So then talk to us about those other quadrants, because 
it, it's great to live in that high. And, and, and this is the point that I'm, and I'm, I'm referencing your book. So obviously, hopefully we're going to have many new raving fans for you when I, when I do this workshop, but thinking about what is the highest and best contribution for me to make. It's not doing everything. I have another client where their executive team has said they become the, the masters of doing, you know, they're, they're operating at a level below where they should be operating for a multitude of different reasons, but they're not thinking about what's the highest and best contribution. So that high contribution, high passion, what do those other three quadrants look like? Yeah, the three quadrants are a big part of reality as well. So I'm glad you're raising them, Gretchen. If you think about the lower right-hand quadrant where it's high contribution, but maybe you don't have a lot of passion, that's just a normal part of a job where there are things our boss wants us to do or the organization has a high priority. It is a really important part of our mandate, but perhaps it's not our favorite thing to do or perhaps it's something we've become bored with. And it's an important quadrant to pay attention to because I call that the tolerate box where some portion of every person's job has a tolerate uh, dimension, but it's a good quadrant to notice. It's a great place to delegate. It's a great place to outsource. It's also a great cue for if you are living there too long that it might be time for a job change. And so again, as you sort of sort your various to-dos and activities and contributions into these four boxes, it gives you a way forward. The upper left-hand box in the converse where you're high passion but low contribution, it's a warning bell for, okay, am I still doing things I love, but really given my larger role or, you know, if I'm a um, higher level leader now, should I not be doing those things? So it's really time to elevate yourself. Or perhaps you're really passionate about something, but you haven't shared what the value add is with other people. So it's time to elevate the idea and make sure you socialize it. And I think all of us have to watch out for the lower left-hand quadrant, low contribution, low passion, big energy drainer. And I do think, Gretchen, as you said, when folks, when any of us get hung up on the hamster wheel and we're in a frenzy of doing, Mm -hmm. it feels good temporarily to cross off the to-do list, but we actually haven't moved anything forward of importance. That, um, you know, it's interesting, once again, doing a lot of work in engineering and construction this shift from subject matter expert to manager to leader and making that transition where I'm rewarded for being a good engineer, like I can design a bridge, I'm really good at that, to then, oh gosh, I have oversight responsibility for budgets and resources and things like that, to really that what that difference between management and leadership is I'm setting the vision, I'm aligning people behind it, and I'm really motivating people. Do you see that correlation between people making that technical subject matter expert transition to leadership and how they get in, can be in the wrong quadrants in your purpose matrix? A hundred percent. I think oftentimes when you see that mismatch in the quadrants, you realize, oh, wow, you've been rewarded for a really long time for being a great player. Mm-hmm. When we're subject matters experts or technical experts or practitioners, we've been rewarded for a long time for being the one driving the ball down the field. And now suddenly as a manager leader, you're being asked to also play coach. So refinding what that ratio of player coach is, is really critical. And so a lot of times when folks fill out the purpose quadrants, you'll see when they write down their highest contributions, they're still thinking a role ago. 
or they're mm-hmm. thinking the organization one scale one chapter ago instead of saying well actually when the company goes from 100 million to 200 million what's that new contribution what's that new list look like or in your coach role not your player role what could we add to the list yeah i'm a, I'm a huge football fan i'm learning Australian rules football. We just had our big footy finals here and rugby and just a big sports fan. And, and I point out to people that, you know, you would, Kansas city chiefs who aren't doing very well right now, the coach doesn't run onto the field. The coach has a role, right. But, but in, but in organizations, we get into this mode where the coach can run onto the field and actually start playing the game. And it's like, wait a minute, time out. You, yes. you have you have a different role now when you've been promoted from player up to coach. Hundred percent, and I think as that you know horizontal grows, as your influence of horizontal grows, where you choose to vertically dive then becomes critically important to pause to say, "Hey, this makes sense for me to come in." Have I explained to my team why why I'm coming in, so they don't think that it's a breach of confidence or trust? And then when am I going to wean myself back out? after I have verified or checked what I need to check. And that, and that takes a fair amount of consciousness and mindfulness as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the thing I love about this book is that it's so holistic and then you're talking about some of these kind of higher level frameworks. And then, then you dive into some very specific things. And one of them is something I was just coaching a CEO on is executive assistance yes. and the importance of an executive assistant in your life. Talk to us a little bit about that. The role of the EA, wow, what an important, wonderful person. If a leader has the good luxury of their organization uh, having that partnership for a leader. It's so funny, Gretchen, that you mentioned that. I was just on a call this morning with uh, a client and a leader where we were talking about the criticality of the EA in terms of the person who helps you think about your time and energy can become a protector of those boundaries Um, In some ways, I mentioned in the book, they're an extension of your brand. And so as you are making those shifts from player to coach and working on the business versus in the business, having a real collaborative partnership with your executive assistants can make a huge difference. Yeah. It's, I mean, in the 35 years (laughs) that I've been out of school working, I'm thinking of two very specific uh, examples right now, one person, CEO of a 10,000 person company, executive assistant is amazing, amazing um, at helping them prioritize their time. And um, I, I think it's one of the most critical roles in, in, because I'm thinking about the flip side of this and the frustration and lack of productivity and efficiency that it's causing in this other person's life. Um, so I think it's great that you dive into things. You talk about how to be productive on flights and all kinds of different things. Talk to us a little bit. You have a chapter called The Power of Peace. Loosen your grip. The peace chapter, truthfully, Gretchen, is my favorite chapter. I think that it was something that um, HBR and I, as we were writing the book, felt really strongly about that there's so much out there written about productivity and how to generate effectiveness, all of which, as you mentioned, the fact that the book gets very tactical, I'm all in favor for. I'm all in favor for that as your external game changes, grows, gets more complicated, line up your external life as much as you can to uh, help you be your best self. 
And at the same time, I think you and I have both worked with so many leaders where, gosh, people are working so hard, so many hours. And I'm just struck by how little satisfaction internally there is and how the leaders I work Mm -hmm. with are their own absolute harshest critics and are harder on themselves than they even are on their teams. And so the peace chapter really looks at the internal world of the leader to say, you know, for, for many of us, yes, when we were younger, we had to hold a very tight grip of control on ourselves. It ensured our quality. It ensured our integrity. And there's some point you wake up and you kind of realize, hey, inner critic, I don't think I quite need you as strongly, but thank you for your function all these years. And maybe I could just taste a little satisfaction and enjoy the journey along the way. And so that's my greatest hope in this world of aspiration, the leaders we want to be, the people we want to be, is that I just hope anyone who reads the book or anyone who's the recipient on the other side of coaching or are mentoring and and coaching their own teams to just have a moment and be okay to say job well done. I'm going to enjoy my life a little bit here. I think that's, that's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's really great advice. It's uh, a, a very good friend of mine who did my leadership circle years ago, and I was talking about, gosh, I've never missed a client deadline. And she looked at me and she said, "At what cost?" Mm, and I was like, wow. "Wow, that's a really insightful." Those moments that you have where some big giant light bulb goes off over your head. Yes, <laughs> what think, a great question. Yeah, yeah, at what cost? You also, you mentioned it just now, but this pay it forward, create leader A teams and organizations. Talk to us about what that looks like. I think ultimately my hope is as we reflect on ourselves and who our best selves are, how do we then pay that forward to the people in our lives? So if we are thinking about the impact we have on others, to the extent that we can be a part of others' journeys and also help them be in environments and cultures that celebrate best self, celebrate wins as a team, thinks about the mission and vision of the organization and are we delighting our customers? Wow, the virtuous cycle and momentum that could come. Um, Even in a year, as you said, in lockdown, the moments that teams take to pause at the start of a meeting and just say, how are you doing? Can go such a long way to our still feeling connected and uh, part of something together. And so I think while the book is a lot of focus on yourself, how do you be your best self? I wanted to end on the message of for the sake of what, right? To then pay it forward as you come to greater peace, greater success, greater effectiveness. I think it comes back to what we were talking about at the start of the podcast around like then go be a positive force for good out in the world. Mm. And and I think that's that's what I really try and have people reflect upon when people interact with me, do they feel good? Do they feel uplifted? Do they feel inspired? Do they feel motivated? Like what, what's the vibe that I'm giving off as a leader? And that's what I love how you start with this whole leader, a leader B thing and in the personas. And yep, I'm not going to be leader a all the time. I I still have some big, (laughs) big, uh, big goose when it comes to leadership, but to be kind and to learn from it, to, to, to also have the humility to be able to go apologize and say that wasn't my best leadership moment. Let's see if I let's see if we can try that again. Amy, I love your book, The Leader You Want to Be: Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out Your Best Self Every Day. I really, really, for our listeners out there that are thinking about um, how they reflect upon 
what type of leader they're showing up each day. Do you have a, a parting tip or some uh, advice that you'd like to share with them? I think just my big message is my going in assumption is that we're all whole. We have everything we need on the inside. So when you find yourself in a leader B moment, again, I hope it's met with compassion uh, and to just explore, you know, what what's actually bothering me. Let me attend to that. Let me reopen the door to my best self. And that's what I most hope for everybody listening to us today. Awesome. Amy, such a joy to meet you. I'm so glad I ran across your article in HBR. And thank you again so much for um, sharing your book with us and sharing your thoughts with us today. It's been, I, I really, really enjoy your book and I hope many people will read it. Thank you, Gretchen. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.